0: Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Guys, Guys Radio. This is your host, Robert Manny, welcoming you to podcast number 329. Wow, 329. We've got a great show this evening. Our special guest is author Brian C. Wilson. He's written a book about uh, somebody that we all should know about, a, a spiritual leader, a business leader, one of the 400 top wealthiest people in the United States at the time when he was alive. His name is John E. Fetzer. And uh, the book is John E. Fetzer and the Quest for the New Age. And uh, Mr. Fest, Fetzer, <clears throat> excuse me, was the former owner of the Detroit Tigers. He owned them for about almost 30 years, two world championships. Remember back in 68, Mickey Lolich. they beat the St. Louis Cardinals and Bob Gibson that year. <laughs> well, he was also uh, a media maven lots of uh, radio, TV stations, and he was also a spiritual seeker. So he fits right in with Guys Guys Radio, which we do blend business and spirituality. We're also all about when men and women can be at their best, everyone wins. And this is a place for seekers. There's so many people out there who are seeking more than just what's being served up by the current media and the news. Everything's owned by just a few outlets and If you switch channels when you're watching the news, whatever, it's the same stories over and over again. And all of a sudden, stories just disappear and they're replaced by other stories. So the news cycle is pretty much managed by the powers that be, let's say. And uh, you have to really seek alternative opportunities and outlets to drill into different issues and learn about different things. Some things aren't talked about. And that's why we're here on Guys Guys Radio. It all started with my novel, *The Guys Guys Guide to Love*, which is a romantic comedy. It's been called the male *Sex in the City*. You can still pick up the book; it's on uh, Amazon and all the e-tailers. You can still find it. At some bookstores you can get a physical copy or the e-copy. It's about two guys in advertising competing for love, sex, power, and money, and it's like the male version of *Sex in the City*. And it's a lot of fun. And that kind of uh, birthed my website, Robert Manny M A N N I dot com, where I posted about 300 plus blogs and it started with relationships and then it expanded into life love and the pursuit of happiness and kind of everything that I do is housed there on the website and then we developed guys guys radio 329 podcasts ago and it's all about it started with relationships and then we started opening things up and taking on all issues through about life love and the pursuit of happiness through a guys guys filter so we've gotten a lot of, uh, we've gotten entertaining people. We've gotten fantasy sports experts. We've gotten, uh, the other day we had on uh, a movie producer, director and producer, and a screenwriter. And then we have a lot of authors, metaphysical teachers, channelers, psychics, all types of, pe- types of people that are offering just a new, new things to consider, new points of view, new questions to ask, new ways to think, new ways to be. And then it's up to the listener. You guys decide, you know, hey, I can vibe with that or, or not. And that's cool. But my job here is to bring things to you for your consideration. And I hope you enjoy it. So what's going on in our Guys Guys world today? Um, well, again, on Guys Guys Radio, you can check out any of the podcasts on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, TuneIn, and Stitcher. Um, they're all for free. Download, listen this, uh, at at your leisure. Um, here we are in New York City, and I, I've talked about this a million times, but I've got to say it again. This weather that we have here is so bizarre. Now it was very, very cold today. It's in the, like the 30s, overcast once again. It seems like it's been overcast, I'd say, 80 to 90% of the days since Labor Day. I don't know what it is. I don't know what's causing it. I don't know what's behind it, but the weather has been dismal this Entire fall, and you even see it with the you know the colors uh, the leaves change and all of that, but it's kind of been dreary. And now the leaves are like, I don't know, we're we supposed to dry up and everything. I thought the sun comes out and we look really beautiful. And that happened for a couple of days, and now they're all getting soggy because it rains all the time, it's overcast like all day, raw and cold. It's really it feels like March, it doesn't feel like November. Very bizarre. I don't know what's going on with that, but here we are, and we're rounding the turn into the holiday season. We just came off of Black Friday. Well, it starts now. It starts at Black Friday week leading up to Thanksgiving, and then Black Friday, and then Black Friday continues, and then it gets into Cyber Monday, and then Cyber Monday extended. I saw most almost all of the Cyber Monday deals extended through yesterday. I haven't really checked online today, but it seems like uh, still there's a lot of these sales, and I, I'll, I'll reckon that. Most of the uh, discounts they're going to stay in place for the most part. Not the real heavy-duty ones, or some of the websites that just never put stuff on sale. Um, you know, they do it one day on Black Friday or maybe two days. But um, for a lot of the brands and a lot of the <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of the uh, retailers, they're just going to keep the prices down uh, right through the holidays. Not only through uh, Christmas, which is a traditional gift-giving day, but also past Christmas because then there's return all the stuff you got for Christmas that you don't want. And and, uh, they keep the prices down because they got to get rid of all the winter stuff. So between now and the end of January, everything's going to be on sale. So if you're driven by consumerism, as a lot of people are in the United States and it's understandable, it's rubbed in our face all day, every day, wherever we go, buy this stuff that you really don't need, but it's fun to have. Then you're in luck because this is probably the best time of year to do shopping. Um, what have I been up to? A couple of things. Uh, last night, I had the privilege of being a featured guest on uh, Kimberly uh, Meredith's show. She has a show, The Intuitive uh, Healer, out on KCAA in Los Angeles. It's got a footprint of about 4.5 million listeners. And uh, we went through my story of uh, working with her and uh, connecting with spirit uh, if, and uh, my healing and uh, pretty amazing stuff happened uh, where uh, I had PSA was rising PSA and uh, then I did a session with Kimberly and also had her on my show and she worked on my wife through Skype on the show but anyhow my PSA went from 4.54 to 0.8 which is pretty amazing and it had been uh you know, had been like 1.3 and then it went to up, up to jumped up to 4.54. My doctor said, you have to, you know, you have to do something about it. This could be really bad. And I said, no, 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 it's not. He said, no, how do you know? And I said, I just know. He said, then what are we talking about here? I said, all right, I'll take the test again. So I took the test after working with Kimberly. And, uh, you know, if you have faith, she uh, connects through the fifth dimension and you have to be open to this with spirit and, uh, They channel through her and go right inside and do remote viewing and uh, did it through Skype. And next thing I know, my number was way down. So Kim really asked me to come on the show and talk about that, and I did. And now I'm talking about possibly doing some work with KCAA, which will really expand Guys Guys Radio. So we'll see what happens there. But I'm very pleased with that. I'm, and I hope the message gets out there that if you have some faith and you're open minded, we have a lot more power. People have a lot more power than they think they do. Uh, we're always kept down and uh, questioning ourselves. And uh, uh, there's a lot of fear that's rampant in our culture. If you just turn on the media, whether it's Fox or CNN or whatever, it's just, oh, it's one stomach ache, one long stomach ache, and fear about, uh, the. you know, you look at the ads, it's like every type of disease going they have some type of advertising for or for insurance or for everything that can go wrong it's just uh, really tough to watch tv but uh what else is happening oh the rolling stones are going on tour in the united states next year mick jaggers 75 years old i saw them in 2015 in pittsburgh we had like a road trip a bunch of guys i went out there and they were tremendous. I'd seen them a whole bunch of times before, but I was shocked at how vibrant and how full of life and how much chi these four guys have. They put on a fantastic, electric, electrifying show. And at uh, you know, at the advanced age of seventy, if you will, at the time, or seventy-two, whatever that was, three years ago, and just really amazing. So their pre-sale went on to sale today, and then I was going to get tickets. I've seen them a bunch of times. And they're playing at a stadium. They're playing MetLife Stadium here. And, you know, I know their set list. They have to play all the big songs. Jumpin' Jack, Flash, Satisfaction, Start Me Up, Street Fightin' Man, It's Only Rock and Roll, Tumbling Dice, Sympathy for the Devil, Honky Tonk Women. They've got about uh, a dozen songs that they have to play, particularly at a stadium because people pony up big money probably going to cost you like for two people to see that show and get decent seats a thousand bucks between fees and uh taxes and then you go to the stadium and then you buy a couple beers or your t-shirt or a hat or whatever and then you by the time you get home this Metlight stadium if you're in the city and you take the uh, mass transit when you come back you have to change trains at secaucus and then you have to wait to hook up with a New Jersey transit train. Well, late at night, when you get up to 11 o'clock, 1130, 12 o'clock, there ain't many trains going back to the city at that time. You could be standing on a crowded platform for like an hour at midnight after seeing the stones concerts. So it's a long day. So I'm like, I must be getting old because I didn't buy the tickets. I had a code where I could go in early and buy tickets and take my wife. And we have a five-year-old. I'm like, you know what? By the time we get home with a babysitter and all that, it's going to be two in the morning on a Thursday night. So I'm going to wait and see if they do a second show uh on Saturday night, which I think they will they usually do and uh we'll reconsider then, but it's a it's a it's that's an expensive it's a long night it's an expensive night, but you know what? God bless the stones they're still out there. I wish they would come out with some new music it's after so many years, but uh that's just the way it is you've got to take it as you come at least they're out there touring you know Paul McCartney's out there touring also he's uh he's the same age, but there's only one one of him. There's four Stones, so it's a little bit different. Um, But he puts out new music, and, you know, they haven't put out a new album in 13 years, which is pretty amazing. Um, uh, They had a blues album a couple of years ago, which was terrific, but I think they knocked that out in a couple of days uh, because they're really, they're bluesers at heart. Anyhow, if you haven't seen the Stones, and you get a chance because they're playing in a lot of the big markets in uh, the spring and early summer, Check them out. It's worth it. I remember when Sinatra was touring, he was about 80. And I'm like, should I go see him? You know, well, maybe next time. And then all of a sudden he's gone. And the same thing with there's other big bands out there, like Bob Dylan's, he's pretty up there. And uh, he's still touring. And, uh, you know, Paul Simon kind of packed it in. And Elton John's on his last tour. Uh, and Billy Joel also, I think. So these are some of these m- mega rock acts. Uh, this is the time to see them because they're not going to d- keep doing this stuff forever. So anyhow... Let's take a quick break and then we want to bring out our special guest, Brian C. Wilson. Uh, He's did a tremendous job on this book called John E. Fetzer and the quest for the new age. And we'll get into that uh, in a few moments. You're listening to the guy's guy radio. All right. Welcome back to the show. It's your guy's guy here, Robert Manny. Um, I was telling you about our special guest, uh, Brian C. Wilson, he wrote this book and he did a really deep dive. This is a real, like, this is a real book. It, it's not something that was tossed off. There's a hundred pages of notes. It's a, it's amazing how much research was done. And I really have to applaud Brian for all the work he did and all the research because, you know, John, John E. Fetzer, he, he's no longer with us. So it, it's a lot of research and it's a, uh, you know, you really have to thank the authors who are real pros and who go the, to the, you know, Go to the next level to really do their job so they can bring messages about different people and particularly amazing people like Johnny Fetzer to us. So let's uh, let's uh, let me tell you a little bit about Brian and then we'll bring him out. I'm going to get his on air introduction here uh, because he's an amazing guy and he did great work with this book. He's a professor of American religious history in the Department of Comparative Religion at Western Michigan University. I wonder if he's a Tigers fan. Was during his years in the peace corps he developed a fascination with religion fueled by what he experienced in the ancient religion of the maya roman and roman catholicism he returned to the u.s got a phd in religious studies at u of california santa barbara he studied religion there in 1993 he wrote a co-authored book on the new religious movements in california um then he wrote a book called dr john harvey kellogg about the leading seven-day adventists of his time and uh, based on the success of the book, the Fetzer Institute invited Wilson to write a full-length spiritual biography of its founder, Johnny Fetzer. So Fetzer was a uh, Kalamazoo, Michigan-based radio pioneer, media mogul, longtime owner of the, as I mentioned, Detroit Tigers, but out of his many pursuits, um, he was uh, on a lifelong spiritual search and a spiritual path which led him from traditional Christianity to an exploration of a variety of metaphysical uh, religions culminating in uh, the New Age. And he's considered um, kind of a New Age leader uh, for the 20th century. In this book, John E. Fetzer and the Quest for the New Age, uh, Wilson not only explores the evolution of Fetzer's beliefs, but how he put them into action by permanently endowing three funds that will foster research into the scientific and spiritual interface for years to come and help cultivate a more peaceful, loving, and inclusive world Founded on the principle that we are all connected by one infinite force. Please welcome my special guest on Guys Guys Radio, Brian C. Wilson. Good evening, Brian. Welcome to the show.
1: Good evening. Great to be with you.
0: Thank you so much for being here. Hey, great job on the book. I know how much work that must have been. Was it a, was it a work of passion and pleasure, or was it real tough going? Or how, how did, how, <laughs> What was your experience like writing this book? Because you did a deep dive, my friend.
1: Well, it was actually a wonderful experience, and it was actually uh, one of the easiest books I've written. Uh, Wow. uh, The thing is, um, well, uh, I managed to get a sabbatical from the university where I teach, and the Fetzer Institute, which happens to be here in Kalamazoo, uh, gave me an office, and I spent an entire year out there working through their archives, and so... um, Like I said, it was the project came together very quickly and uh, the writing was very easy and it was just absolutely fascinating to do the work.
0: Do you think uh, through your own spiritual beliefs? Let me start with this question. Do you think your spiritual beliefs evolved while and after completing the writing of this book?
1: Well, um, I always tell people when when they ask me about my my spiritual beliefs that uh you know my religion is comparative religion and uh and I kind of describe myself as kind of an agnostic seeker, so on the one hand, I'm absolutely fascinated by new religious movements and metaphysical movements and all sorts of spiritual things, um, but I haven't quite made up my mind yet about you know which I would follow. So Fetzer was was inspirational because he spent his entire life, at least since the 1930s, uh, exploring all these metaphysical options and basically put together a worldview that really worked for him. Uh, so for me, that was the inspirational thing about John Fetzer is that he never stopped exploring. And even though it wasn't, you know, necessarily his his, I don't know, his... His profession. Uh, nevertheless, he put together a, a, just a really fascinating worldview.
0: Now, what um, what inspired him to uh, be a, a seeker?
1: Well, it's interesting because he grew up a very um, uh, um, kind of normal Christian uh, upbringing. He was baptized a, a Methodist, a very conventional religious upbringing, and. What happened was uh, when he was a teenager, his mother uh, converted to Seventh-day Adventism, uh, which is a, an apocalyptic, um, fairly fundamentalist Christian group that has its origins here in Michigan. It's now a worldwide tradition. but um, So he joined the church as well, and uh, he was, uh, for years, a, a very fervent Seventh-day Adventist. Um, but at the end of that, he found it very kind of constricting, and he really felt that his spiritual needs weren't being met. And so uh, when he was in his late 20s, he left the church and, and decided to start seeking other kinds of spiritual paths. And that led him into uh, all sorts of metaphysical traditions, which basically formed the, the foundation of his worldview. Uh,
0: why is he considered kind of a, quote, unquote, New Ager, if you will?
1: Well, um, because it's interesting because he was, he was always interested in, in his personal spiritual transformation or development. Um, but he always felt that, that the personal or individual uh, uh, search wasn't enough, that it had to add up to something greater. And so he really came to believe that if enough people uh, embarked on a spiritual search like he did and, and, and achieved some kind of spiritual transformation – then the entire world would be transformed. It's kind of a hundredth monkey kind of thing. And so for him, that global spiritual transformation he started referring to in the 1960s as the New Age. And that's why I really cite him as as kind of, you know, one of the the kind of godfathers of the New Age movement, which really only took on that label uh, in the late 70s and early 80s. Um, He
0: was a... Let's get into some of the areas where he dug into. Uh, let's start with uh, something provocative, UFOs. What was his point of view on um, UFOs? I know with uh, we'll get into Ascended Masters, and a lot of people believe that if you're open to the belief of Ascended Masters, that some of the Ascended Masters are actually uh, ETs.
1: Right. Well, yeah, in the 1950s, John Fetzer became just fascinated by UFOs. And it actually, his interest in UFOs goes back to his, his um, service during World War II. Um, he basically consulted with the government. Uh, he was a, um, a radio sensor for a while, and then uh, he was sent by Eisenhower on a, on a trip to Germany after the war to assess radio. And so he started hearing reports about Foo Fighters and these mysterious kinds of lights that were following Allied planes during World War II. And from there, he always it was kind of attuned to this idea that, you know, these, there might be visitations from alien worlds. And then, of course, when the UFO craze really exploded in the late uh, 1940s, um, he just read everything that was coming out about UFOs. And I think there were two things that really fascinated him about it. One was um, if, if these things were real, they must represent a real kind of um, quantum leap in technology and wouldn't it be interesting if we could find out exactly how that stuff works? And then, of course, there's also the spiritual side of it as well. Because um, as you mentioned, um, it's interesting, a lot of the early UFO contactees were also theosophists. So they already kind of came at this stuff with this idea that there is a, a, a great white brotherhood of ascended masters out there that can be contacted for spiritual wisdom. And so it made perfect sense to them that uh, these ascended masters were the same things as, uh, as the, the aliens who um, they believe mm-hmm. were visiting Yeah. So there's a kind of technological and a spiritual side to this.
0: Okay. You know, it's interesting. I, uh, you know, I'm a businessman. I have some similarities except in the, in the bank account with between me and John Fester <laughs> is that um, <laughs> business guy, but um, I've always been a seeker and uh, now I take a, a spiritual perspective. Uh, Unfoldment class and we uh, work with somebody who channels uh, the quote unquote white brotherhood now white brotherhood doesn't it's not means it's not about caucasian it 's just the right. brotherhood if you will and um, these ascended masters who join us when we do our weekly uh, uh, hour and a half kind of get togethers by skype and uh, it's really fascinating the questions that you can ask and the answers you get and um, uh, you can re- you really learn that you can draw on um, the wisdom of these guys throughout the week and mm-hmm. that ultimately um, mankind has a lot more, as I said in my intro, a lot more power than it thinks it does, that people possess a lot more power that they, they really don't know how to use. What's your thoughts and what were Fetzer's thoughts on that?
1: Well, John Fetzer definitely would agree with you. He um, He felt that – um, you know, the entire universe is essentially uh, uh, made of circulating energies. And these energies, if you could access them, uh, would allow, allow you to tap into cosmic sources of wisdom. And one of the ways of doing this, of course, is, is by through channeling and, and um, uh, communicating with the Ascended Masters. Um, so for him, uh, for John Fetzer, he felt that there was a, a whole you know, universe of wisdom out there that, that human beings naturally could tap into. But for a variety of reasons, we've been, you know, told or educated that these things don't exist or aren't accessible or, you know, we have to basically um, be content with our, our lot here on Earth. But for John Fetzer, his, his worldview basically extended far beyond that. And so he would definitely agree that there's a world of wisdom out there just ready to be tapped
0: and and Brian what were his um practices if you will when when working with ascended masters or the i am um uh or uh you know uh, uh st germain um mm-hmm. uh, the masters of the far east what what was his pra- what were his practices i know he was open to all these things and you get into a lot of this in the book but for our audience why don't you tell us uh, you know what did he actually do to practice yeah. What he was preaching, well, if you will.
1: Yeah. Well, it all started um, back in the 1930s uh, when he left Seventh Day Adventism, and one of the first places he went is he uh, he was living in Kalamazoo, and he headed south to Indiana, and he went to a place called Camp Chesterfield, which is a spiritualist camp, and there it's kind of a year-round psychic fair, if you will. It's been around since the, the 19th century; it still exists today. It's a thriving institution. And there he encountered spiritualist mediums for the first time, and that was his first kind of connection with what we might call today channeling. And so he went to mediums uh, throughout his life, at least until the 1970s that we know about. And then uh, in the late 70s, he actually um, uh, met up with a man named Jim Gordon, who for the rest of his life became kind of his personal psychic. And Jim Gordon had the ability to channel and, and through trances basically communicate with uh, a wide range of, uh, of ascended masters. So it's interesting because what John Fetzer would do is Fetzer lived in Kalamazoo, but Jim Gordon actually lived in Texas and mm-hmm. for a variety of reasons didn't want to move to Kalamazoo, in part because of the weather. You we were talking about the weather earlier. Right. And um, – so what he would do is he would, he would do his channelings, and they would be recorded on cassette tapes. And then he would send – Jim Gordon would send the cassette tapes to um, John Fetzer. And by this time, uh, Fetzer had basically created his own kind of – his inner circle of people he trusted here in Kalamazoo. And they had something called the Monday Night Group. And it would begin with um they would have, you know, a a prayer and, and some kind of meditation or they would, you know, recite the great invocation of Alex Bailey. And then they would listen to the tape and think about the things that um, the 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 ascended masters were saying and trying to interpret them in terms of how they can incorporate those things into their lives. So, um that's, you know, two of the ways through spiritualist mm-hmm. mediums and through channelers that John Fetzer, you know, access the Great White Brotherhood.
0: How how did he uh, then in, in integrate his spiritual learnings while uh, in his businesses? Uh, and let's take the Detroit Tigers for an example, because you know it's mm-hmm. a business, but it's baseball, and he did win win two World Championships uh, with the Tigers during his uh, legacy, his ownership years. Uh, did he use some of these uh, new age practices to you know m- assign the right players or make managerial moves or whatever?
1: Well, that's interesting because uh, he was actually very careful not to um, uh, to mix too much into the day to day running of the team. And so where his kind of new age insights came in was uh, in in basically hiring good people to be you know the the managers and coaches. And then he trusted them to make the correct decisions. So he thought it was a bad idea for owners to fraternize on a regular basis with the baseball players. So he he remained fairly aloof. But Mm -hmm. John Fetzer really felt he had a kind of um, almost a a power of ESP, a kind of extrasensory perception in his ability to um, make good business decisions and to choose good people um, to basically manage things for him. So there are a couple of instances where he did intervene directly into the into the life of the ball team, but for the most part, uh, he was content to let the um, you know the, the coaching staff and his managers um, do the day to day business.
0: I don't know if you know the answer to this, but why, what was his interest in uh, owning the Detroit Tigers?
1: Well, just an I've offshoot had a of his
0: media about- empire.
1: I think that's part of it. I think he saw, you know, real synergies with his, especially, you know, developing his, his uh, television, uh, which he got into in the 1950s. Um, but I think he also saw the Detroit Tigers as a great deal. Um, so he, he put together – he didn't have enough money himself to buy the team outright. So he put together a qu- consortium of other business people, and, and they got together and bought the team um, in '56. And then slowly but surely over the years, he basically bought out his, his partners. And so in 1961, he became the sole owner of the Tigers. Wow.
0: Wow. Why did he sell? So he, he just got too old.
1: Yeah. Well, there are two reasons. Uh, one, um, in some ways, baseball was, wasn't as fun as it was for him back in the 50s. Um, <clears throat> he had to deal with players' unions and strikes and those kinds of things. So it was becoming more difficult Uh, for him uh, to basically run the team but he also at that point in the 1980s he sold the team in 83 Um, he really wanted to liquidate all his businesses and put together an endowment and create a foundation to basically carry on his spiritual beliefs so that's part of the reason as well why he he eventually sold the tigers in 83
0: now uh, he he really uh, explored so many different aspects of uh, spiritualism. Um, so let's talk about a couple of things because uh, and a couple of those because I think for our listeners uh, uh, there's a couple of terms here that people hear but they're not really uh, sure exactly what they mean. And one is a Freemason. You know the Freemasons. People uh, you know I think get confused like what's a Freemason? Is that a negative thing? And But in the spiritual realm, it it, it is pretty popular. So talk Mm -hmm. to us a little bit about just clarifying what this whole Freemasonry is all about.
1: Yeah, well, um, throughout human history, and especially in Western history, um, there have always been uh, mystery traditions, if you will. And these are traditions that uh, have a, a secret kind of religious basis. And in order to learn the secret, you have to be initiated into the group. And these go all the way back to the ancient world. And one of these mystery traditions is Freemasonry. Um, And as we know Freemasonry today, uh, it developed uh, in the 18th century in England. And it had aspects of ritualism, aspects of uh, sacred teachings, but it was also a, a social group as well, um, and it was meant to um, basically cultivate people's civic virtues, men's civic virtues, because it was always for men, and uh, to also encourage charity as well. So it had these kind of social aspects, but it also had these, um, these uh, kind of mystical aspects to it as well. And it's interesting because it was brought to um, the United States and a number of the founding fathers, uh, like George Washington, Belong to um, a, a right. Masonic Lodge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it became important uh, among some of the founding fathers in terms of the founding of the country. And sometimes people interpret the, on the back of the dollar bill, there's, of course, an unfinished pyramid with right. mm-hmm. an alt-mean-i. And um, this is debated, but some people see that as a, as a Masonic symbol. Um, okay. So a symbol of this, this group.
0: All right. Now there was another one, uh, Her Hermetism, what is that?
1: Hmm. Hermeticism. Hermeticism. Well, that is 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 um, a tradition that goes back to uh, a mythical founder way back in the ancient world, uh, whose name was Hermes Trismegistus, and Trismegistus simply means thrice great. So he wasn't simply great; he was really great and really, really great. And he taught uh, a form of uh, Neoplatonism, uh, an idea that everything is spirit and essentially human beings are are longing to basically leave the physical and enter into the spiritual. And what's interesting is um, there were a number of ancient texts that were left behind written in Greek um, called the Hermetic texts. And these were rediscovered during the Renaissance and uh, to some degree um, these texts uh, um, were the uh, inspiration for alchemy, so the practice of turning base metals into gold. And of course, there's also psychological interpretations of what alchemy is about as well. So, Hermeticism, as we know it, actually goes back to the Renaissance and is bound up with all the kind of mystic symbolism of alchemy.
0: Okay. Um, there's another one here. I'm going to read it. It's Rosicrucianism
1: hmm Yeah, Rosicrucianism. Well, literally what it means is the Rose Cross. And this was a, a, um, a secret society that arose in Europe um, about the time of the Protestant Reformation. And the interesting thing about Rosicrucians is it was another one of these mystery religions where you had to be initiated into the group in order to learn its secrets. Um, nobody really knows whether it actually was real or not. Um, it might have just simply been a literary hoax, but for whatever reason, it, it caught the, the attention of people, and um, various forms of Rosicrucianism, which use Hermetic ideas, uh, were brought to the United States. And so there are a number of different Rosicrucian groups in the United States. And again, these are, um, these are kind of graded organizations in which they have various degrees that you have to work through, um, much like Freemasonry.
0: Okay, uh Tesla. Tesla's a guy who's getting a lot of uh uh discussion about nowadays because uh he his supposedly he was working on providing free energy for everybody and then he went he disappeared after that, if you will, from the face <laughs> of the earth.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Nikola Tesla, is a really free interesting energy guy.
0: and his uh all his notes and everything, everything was kind of a uh Grabbed. So, what what was uh, Fetzer's feeling about Tesla?
1: Well, Tesla was a real inspiration for John Fetzer. And late in his life, Fetzer said that um, you know Tesla's early writings um, were essentially a kind of Bible to him. And the interesting thing about Tesla, of course, is um, he uh, invented the alternating current motor. And Tesla claimed that um, he had the ability to actually build new technologies in his mind and test them in his mind before he even built anything, actually created anything real, so that when he was ready um, to actually build something for real, uh, it would work perfectly. Now, that's what he claimed, whether it was actually true or not, I'm not too sure, but he was an electrical genius. And he was especially fascinated with Um, the ability of transmitting energies over long distances. And so one of his ideas was that you could turn the entire world, the entire Earth, into like a large capacitor, and people could then tap into it at any point on the Earth and have free energy. And Mm -hmm. so he tried to get funding for this uh, from a variety of different people, like J.P. Morgan, uh, but was eventually shut down. Um, perhaps the idea of free energy for all was, um, you know, uh, not good for business. <laughs> yeah, business models essentially. Yeah, exactly. But we'll never know whether that actually was a reality. I mean, could be a reality or not, because uh, yes, a lot of his notes seem to have disappeared after his death. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he what was a really it? interesting guy in terms of his his early experiments with electricity, especially transmission of energy over a distance. Yep.
0: Now, uh, what is SBNR, for our benefit of our listeners?
1: Well, SBNR is uh, an acronym uh, for Spiritual But Not Religious. And okay. what's interesting about that is um, people like uh, you know, the Gallup organization and, and the, the Pew Foundation have been doing um, opinion polls about people's religious beliefs for decades now. And what they've noticed in the latest polls, especially, you know, into the 21st century, is that more and more people, when they're asked, well, what is your religion, they'll say none. And then when you drill down and you ask p- people who say none um, more specific questions about what they believe, uh, very few of them are actually real atheists or agnostics. Um, only about 2% of the population are real atheists or agnostics. But most of them say, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. And the idea here is that they're very interested in the life of the spirit, but they're not interested in institutions or institutional religion. So they've essentially abandoned institutional religion uh, for a much more kind of free-flowing, always developing spiritual life. And that's growing in in our society. It's 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 the fastest growing segment in terms of
0: religion mm-hmm. as well in the United States. Yeah. Now there's a, a group of books that he read. I actually have the first one. It's called The Masters of the Far East. Uh, mm-hmm. Spalding uh, is the guy's name who wrote it. Emmett Spalding, I think. Um, I I might I might have have that wrong, but I have it. I started reading it. I put it aside, but it's on my list and. uh, there are five volumes, and it's supposedly they're fantastic, so I can't wait to dig into them. But t- talk to us a little bit about why Fetzer chose these to read and why those texts are so important.
1: Yeah, the guy's name is, is Baird T. Spaulding.
0: Baird Spaulding, okay.
1: Thank you. Yeah, and it's kind of an odd name. Um, and the interesting thing about it is that uh, he claimed that around the turn of the century, uh, he went on an expedition, a scientific expedition, uh, to the north of India, into Tibet. And there, uh, he essentially met uh, a, a variety of people we would call ascended masters today, uh, including uh, Jesus. And according to Barrett Spalding, and this is what he writes about in his books, um, it was like being in an intensive kind of spiritual workshop for months and months and months. And he came back with a a kind of monistic worldview in which, um, you know, all is spirit. And there's a a great central sun out there that's basically radiating spirit. And that we're all connected through this spirit. And wisdom and health and happiness can be gotten uh, through things like meditation or other ways of tuning in the human body and mind to spirit. So for John Fetzer, when he was reading these things, it just resonated with him because these were things he was already thinking about. Um, mm-hmm.
0: There was also so mentioned, Brian, in the book about um, that spirituality uh, a, a, and success are uh, hand, go hand in hand, that in mm-hmm. fact, uh, that he believed through his uh, readings and the research that um, people who were, had become super successful were actually helped by ascended masters and that every individual has five ascended masters who kind of work with them. Could you elaborate yep. on that a little bit?
1: Yeah, these were ideas that came out of um, books like Baird Spalding's um, uh, Masters of the Far East. Um, and it's also an idea that goes back to Theosophy. And Theosophy is a tradition that actually began in the United States um, that blends kind of uh, Western esotericism, things like Hermeticism and Rosicrucianism, with uh, Hinduism and Buddhism. And um, the Theosophists basically developed this idea of the Great White Brotherhood and the Ascended Masters. So you find this idea popping up over and over in Theosophy, in Barrett Spalding's writings, in a very interesting religious group called the I Am Religious Activity, um, which popped up in uh, Chicago in the late 20s and early 30s. Um, So these ideas that the Ascended Masters are out there ready and willing to basically help us evolve spiritually is one of the key ideas that becomes part of the new age
0: Was there anything that um, Fetzer, because he really dug into everything and he did his research that he um, and he embraced most of it did he what what if anything, did he reject when he was doing his work?
1: Well, um, he wasn't very interested in things like ceremonial magic, um, you know the things that were being done by the Ordo Templi Orientis and Aleister Crowley and and folks like that. So he wasn't interested in this idea of of, uh, connecting with um, essentially um, powerful spirits in order to basically do his bidding, those kinds of things. So that kind of stuff that we call the occult, he wasn't very interested in. Mm -hmm. And then there were other ideas, common ideas that he just completely rejected like hell. He just simply believed that um, there was no hell and that everybody essentially had the opportunity for transformation. And since he believed in reincarnation, um, then the whole idea is that we're going through, you know, series of of lives that stretch all the way back into the past and all the way into the future, in which we're going to basically perfect ourselves spiritually. And so if we don't do it in this life, it's not like we're going to be, you know, condemned to hell or any kind of everlasting Mm -hmm. torment. He just rejected the
0: idea. What was his feelings uh, about um, the Akashic records and uh, people, uh, since everything is recorded, people being able to access their own Akashic Mm -hmm. records, which should be filed inside of them, uh, that would include past lives and future lives. Did he vibe with that?
1: Yeah, no, he he definitely uh, believed in the reality of the Akashic records and that we could access them. Um, one of his favorite books was um, something called The Aquarian Gospel of Jesus Christ, um, which was channeled from the Akashic Records by a guy named Levi Dowling. And it basically um, talks about the lost years of, of Jesus. And again, this was something that Fetzer was really fascinated by. And Fetzer himself was really interested in, in tracing his own past lives and so he would go to mediums and channelers uh, in, in order to explore this. And, and one medium he went to in the 1970s, uh, her name was Ina Twig, basically said, well, what you need to do is use the Ouija board and the Ouija board can uh, contact, uh, basically access the Akashic records and help you flesh out your past lives. And so throughout most of the 1970s, he worked the Ouija board. He had a confidential secretary who worked with him. uh, And together, they would basically use the Ouija board to develop um, narratives about his past lives going all the way back to Atlantis.
0: Wow. Uh, And going forward, did he look into his future?
1: Well, he really hoped. uh, Just uh, months before he died, he basically said, you know, I hope this is it. I hope this is the last life. Um, I hope I've actually managed to accomplish—he really believed he was on a spiritual mission, and the spiritual mission had begun long ago in these past lives and had never been completely successful, although each one of the past lives basically gave him a little bit more wisdom to be more successful in the next life. So he really hoped that his life now was it and that he'd accomplished his spiritual mission by creating the Fetzer Institute and that he wouldn't be called back to a new life this time, that he would actually mm-hmm. um, ascend to the source. So he's hoping that.
0: Okay. Um, just, uh, just a couple more questions, but um, I'm interested in the, with the Ouija board because, you know, some, some, I've heard so much about, you know, watch out for Ouija boards. Yep. Because you don't want to, uh, you know, mess around with that because that opens up a very interesting can of worms and yep. uh, might let the cat out of the bag, so to speak. Um, what's your feeling about that and what why did Fetzer feel comfortable with a Ouija board The four Akashic Records i would never heard that connection but it's fascinating I'd love to hear more
1: yeah well he was always worried too that the Ouija board could open up you know um, um, uh, pathways to negative spirits uh, and one of the ways he guarded against this was he never worked the Ouija board alone um, but apparently um, his experiences with the Ouija board were almost uniformly positive. And, um, he'd actually been using the Ouija board, um, since the 1930s. He first encountered it down in camp Chesterfield, the spiritualist camp in Indiana, and, um, apparently never had any negative experiences with it. Um, so he was okay. mindful. He okay. did talk about the mm-hmm. possibilities of, you know, all right, letting in well, bad stuff.
0: Why don't we, uh, move on to, uh, you know, what his legacy is, the foundations he set up, the work that's continuing after his passing and uh, why it's so important.
1: Sure. Well, um, again, he really felt that while individual spiritual transformation was uh, a good thing for everybody to work for, um, if there weren't a larger kind of collective goal, um, then it wasn't going to have the kind of meaning it should. And so for John Fetzer, he really began thinking in his last decades that what he wanted to do was to create an institution that would uh, carry on his spiritual worldview after he died. And so in the 1970s, he began um, actively liquidating his business interests uh, and using that money to create an endowment for what was originally called the Fetzer Foundation, um, but eventually becomes called the Fetzer Institute And the idea here was that long after he died, the Fetzer Institute would continue on uh, promoting different programs and partnerships to promote all kinds of spirituality around the world. Um, He also created something called the Fetzer Memorial Trust. And the Memorial Trust was um, uh, basically its mission was to preserve and, and promote the legacy of John Fetzer. So it's really the Memorial Trust who um, commissioned me to, to write the book. And then the third thing he did is he set up something called the Fetzer-Franklin Fund, and that was to uh, um, specifically underwrite um, uh, research in kind of cutting-edge holistic science. And a lot of this has to do with um, of, uh, kind of the cutting-edge of quantum science in in physics and in biology and so this stuff continues to this day um and it's really very high-powered stuff a lot of it is just right over my head i'm afraid um but very interesting kinds of um, uh, research
0: Mm -hmm. brian um you've done an amazing job with this book so i know how much research i know what it takes to do what you're doing it's just you you really nailed it so congratulations on that if you had a chance to meet uh john fetzer what would you say to him and what would you ask him he must have been there must have been a head scratcher when you were doing all your research he said you know what i i really need to know about this and i really couldn't find the answer to it
1: well um i I have a couple of specific questions. Unfortunately, you know, I just missed him by a few years. Um, I moved to Kalamazoo in ninety six and he died in ninety one so wow just over if, if just a few more years, we would have overlapped. But of course, back then, I wouldn't have known what questions to ask. And I guess I mean, one of the interesting questions for me is, um, how do you get from seventh-day Adventism, this very fundamentalist Christian group? Uh, to spiritualism, what basically led him uh, from his childhood Christianity um, to uh, to the spiritualism at Camp Chesterfield? So I think that was that would be one of the questions. And then of course, you know, if if we could communicate with him now, it would be interesting to find out whether um, you know what he's found out in the in the spiritual world, whether it conforms with the worldview he created. I'd love to be asked. Mm-hmm.
0: That's a great that's a That's a great question. Well, you yeah. know what, Brian. If you believe what John believed, I'll bet you can still ask him.
1: Well, we can certainly try. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so, again, congratulations. And uh, thank, you. thank you so much for coming on the show because uh, I really respect all the work you put into this and it's a great read thank and you. You, you really, you you know, it's great also what you've done for his legacy. So nice job there. Tell us everybody where they can find more about you and your work and where they can get the book, et cetera.
1: Well, the, the book is available um, on Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com, and it's, there's, uh, there's a hard copy and uh, a Kindle version, an e-version, available out there. Um, if uh, your listeners would like to learn more about the Fetzer Institute, um, they can go to Fetzer.org, and that um, gives you a, a good overview of the kinds of spiritual programs that they're promoting these days. And then uh, in terms of the Memorial Trust and the work they're doing with the Fetzer-Franklin Fund and my own work in Johnny Fetzer and the Quest for the New Age, uh, they can go to InfinitePotential.com, and there's also an Infinite Potential Facebook page, too. And if they go to the website, InfinitePotential.com, uh, they can download a free PDF of the preface in the first chapter of the book, so they can get a little taste of what it's all about.
0: Fantastic. Dr. Brian C. Wilson, you've done a fantastic job. What's next for you?
1: Well, uh, I'm doing a a couple of different projects. One of the things I got really interested in is this idea of spiritual but not religious, uh, this kind of free-floating spirituality. And so I'm creating a graduate course here at Western uh, to talk about kind of the history of spirituality and, and what people mean by it when they call themselves spiritual but not religious. And then another uh, book project I'm doing is actually going back in history and looking at the father of American spirituality, Ralph Waldo Emerson.
0: Mm -hmm. Wow, that should be fascinating. We'll look for it. All right. Great job, Brian. A pleasure to meet you. And, uh, you know, I really have a lot of respect for your work. So thank you so much.
1: Thank you. My pleasure.
0: All right. Okay, folks. Again, our special guest has been Dr. Brian C. Wilson. The name of the book is Johnny Fetzer. And The Quest for the New Age, fascinating read. A lot of great work went into it and uh, very uh, uh, provocative. And uh, you'll be scratching your head and asking yourselves a lot of questions after reading this book. Great job. So that's our show for this evening on Guys Guys Radio. We're back again on Sunday. Um, We've got another author who has a provocative, thought-compelling book. And uh, we look forward to that. And that will be Sunday at 8 p.m., And until then, I hope you have a great rest of the week. And remember, like I always like to say, guys, guys, finish first.